You stupid bitch. Yeah, you're a stupid bitch. You stupid bitch. Welcome to this week's episode of Stupid Bitches Say What, the Aussie podcast about everything and nothing, but always with wine. And your hosts, Sean Hipkins and Sky Lee Collett. Hold on to your headsets, folks, because this week it's back in time and we're going to discuss some famous mysteries that have baffled humankind for years, decades, centuries even. Listen in as we recount the mystery of Ghost Ship, the Zodiac Killer, literary classics like Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys, and finally, the ancient Nazca Lines. But before we do, what pray tell are you drinking, you stupid bitch? Well, if you can believe it, my husband managed to find me something that I haven't drunk before. Oh. I know it's very, very crafty, isn't he, old Tyler? Is it sake or? No, it's still sad. <laughs> it's still a dirty savvy bee. Um, so it's called the People's Piquette. Piquette. Mm. P-I-Q-U-E-T-T-E. How would you pronounce that? Piquette. 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 Yeah. Um. It's a Sauvignon Blanc. It says from Sauvignon Blanc. I guess that's the kind of grape, isn't it? Yes. Um, but it's quite a little. Can you see? Oh no, yeah. It's quite colourful. That's cute. Looks quite nice. It's got a full. It's low alcohol, isn't it? I fucking could tell from the label. I'm like, is that full alcohol? <laughs> oh my fucking god! What is it? Low or no? lower in alcohol yeah it kind of just had that fucking look to it doesn't it it totally does you're so right yeah 4.7 drinks in this whole fucking bottle (laughs) what's the standard usually seven drinks serious someone's going to get a bit of a slap tonight aren't they i need to message him (laughs) he's stitching me up bro maybe he's secretly trying to get me off the booze (laughs) No. Oh, hang on. Am I doing? Ah, ah. Um, and let me have a sip. Hang on. I just have to message him. <laughs> Better fucking take <laughs> Fingers crossed. It's actually, it actually tastes okay. It, you can taste, you can always taste the low alcohol component. It's a bit more watery, isn't it? Yeah. Well, and I already put ice in it. Like I was trying to actually, to be fair, I brought in a bottle of soda water. So I was going to water it down myself. I know, but so... you'd like to have the option. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, well, there you go. Oh, low, low alcohol. alcohol. Yeah. And we bag it out so much and now I'm forced to drink, to drink it. it it's probably like we've got a big night tomorrow yeah <laughs> fleet with back to a beer i was complaining about that i was like we've got such a big night tomorrow you know i want to get up early i've got to do things around the house yeah i know i've got the same i've got chores to sort and shit like that yeah anyway i digress you do what pray tell are you drinking you stupid fucking bitch well on such a fucking hot day you know i like to go rosé this one doesn't seem to have a name. You're a poet and you didn't know it. This is Wave of the Day Rosé. Oh, okay. That's okay. And it says, single vineyard, Aglianchio from Lacaran Vale. A rare beauty, just like that Wave of the Day. While it comes, you know you've got to relish it. So let's see. 
how we feel about Aurora's eye. Mmm. Dry, crisp, a little bit sweet. It's nice. Mm, full strength there's 7.7 <laughs> bad boys in that bottle i checked <laughs> no thanks <laughs> at least it tastes okay at least yeah. i'm not like <sighs> yeah it's no fucking um sjp i know well when i picked it up um i thought he'd accidentally got me a simillion for a minute then and i was like oh honey but he did it i thought it looked <laughs> like a simillion bottle actually but you picked it i thought it looked different you're right it yeah. had a different look, and that's why I thought Samillion, um, which I fucking hate, listeners, if you don't already know that. Um, but yeah, you you picked it in one. It's low alcohol. Has he um has he texted you back yet? No, he has a little bit. <laughs> He's probably just sitting there going, "Oh shit," <laughs> creeping around the house and shit like that. <laughs> Baby, <laughs> He's in his aircon cave. <laughs> well, how's your week been? week's been motherfucking hectic as per usual um i feel exhausted from this fucking heat that we're experiencing mm. right now it's a heat wave um it's disgusting so uh, listeners abroad uh it was 25 degrees um at about 10 celsius last night celsius last night um which is hot it is really it's really, very hot. really hot <laughs> so especially when you're at night time and it's dark and you're clammy skin because it's so freaking hot and we've had two nights of that so far haven't we it's been gross yeah even with the rain last night we got a bit of rain last night did you get a bit of rain i think so i got the alert but you just never hear anything with our fucking topical ace doors. Yeah, it was nothing. And that's what Tyler was saying to me. Um, they're supposed to be like, we're supposed to get torrents for like a week or so yeah. across the whole East Coast. I'm like, they always say that. Yeah, I know. I know. It's disappointing it when, when you get the storm it. morning and nothing happens, isn't it? <laughs> Fuck's sake. You want to race home and batten down the hatches mm. and be like, oh, we're not going anywhere this weekend. It's and storming minute, outside and then it's nothing. <laughs> sun splitting the stones, yeah. Five minutes of rain. <laughs> um, so there's that. But something I'm super excited to tell you about Ooh. and I think you thought was never really going to happen, did you? You got your medal. I got my medal. Oh, cool. Look at this bad boy. It is really heavy. Oh, it and is. the quality, it's it got two heavy. medallions. That's the back of it. See how it's got the two medallions? Yeah. And the front has Transylvania across the oh, top. Oh, cool. And it's got a really thick sash to it yeah. um, with the Conqueror written across it. Cool. Um, but, yeah, I guess, you know, I was bitching and moaning about how the whole experience wasn't really worth my 60 bucks or whatever I paid. But i got to say, the medal's probably worth a Yeah, at least bucks. it's not some piece of fucking plywood cardboard <laughs> shit or something. Yeah. Well, I think I told you a couple of weeks ago um, that I had finished. Well, I, I finished like maybe a month or two ago, um, maybe six weeks ago. And um, I hadn't got the medal. I was like, where the fuck is my medal? And then I went online and realized I had to claim it, even though yes. I didn't pay any more money, it was included. Um, so I claimed it. So I've been on the lookout for it. But the whole time I was thinking to myself, shall I wear it? I'm just going to wear it. Put it, it on. You've earned that. Yeah, You've earned that shit. So. I have earned it. Um, wait, there's going to be a lot of clanking. Hang on, I've got to take my headset off. <laughs> There we go. How does that look? Yeah, it's cool. It actually <laughs> looks pretty decent. It is actually surprisingly decent. But I was, again, not expecting it. I thought to myself, once I claimed it, I thought, oh, this is going to be shit, right? Or a tiny one or yeah, something like that. Um, yeah, you can't really see it that well now. 
Um, yeah, so I thought it was going to be total crap. I thought it was going to be plastic. This is fucking cool. heavy metal, man. Yeah. So, yeah. You can display that proudly. Here. Yeah, well done. <laughs> bravo, bravo. <laughs> so, you know, just like a little nice little thing in my shit show of a week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you earned that. You yeah, earned it. I did. I earned it by walking just my regular amount of walking. <laughs> you know, you got to see some sights along the way of Transylvania. That's it. That's it. Um, feeling a little bit inspired to do the real Transylvania, though, but anyway. Yeah, that'll be cool, actually. So how's your week been, stupid bitch? My week's been good, thank you for asking. Vinny's been in Sydney all week. That's... Oh, of course he has. He's been seeing the sun. He has. He's been down there for work. He's home now. That's not why my week was good. But um, I have learnt that when he's not Love. here, <laughs> when he's not here, I tend to treat myself to a few cheeky reds of an evening. So which, whilst enjoyable, it's probably not the most health-conscious move I could have made. Um, I did go through three bottles of red over the four nights, and I didn't drink last night. So, yeah, it was, um, I don't know, I think because I'm just bored and I'm watching TV and there's no rules or anything, so you just don't feel guilty, you know. So it was fun. probably shared about four bottles of white this week. And when I say share, you know who's getting the most of The lion's share of that. But the other thing that um, that I am able to take advantage of whilst he is away is having the TV to all, my, all to mm. myself. So I've been able to catch up on all my shows and there's so, so many reality shows. So I caught up on The Masked Singer, Australia. Oh. We got down to the final three, which I was pretty certain of two of them and was right. So Darren Haynes was the runner-up and the winner was Darren Haynes from Savage Garden, of course. He was excellent. And the winner was none other than my Eurovision idol, Dami M. So that was good. So I had them two picked throughout the show. Well, the pool oh, is small the for talented small. people in I thought, it was, I thought it was either her or Samantha Jade, to be fair, and um, because they're both powerhouses. So I also saw the finale of The Amazing Race Australia Celebrity Edition, and I have to say I fucking love Emma Wiggle and her sister. They were awesome in it. Oh, really? Very positive. Yeah, cool. Um, New Big Brother has started. And they've basically just fucking turned it into Love Island. They've gone this season for all young, hot singles, which is fine for a theme, but there's zero diversity in it, as in they're all heterosexual couples and they're all starting to pair off and shit like that. So it's kind of dumb. There's no old people or anything. It's just a bit, takes the, I don't know, the game out of it when it's now just a matchmaking thing. Yeah, well, there's plenty of those shows already. Like, we exactly, don't know that. exactly. Um, but all those plus my existing commitments, like the challenge below deck med, house of villains, RuPaul Drags Race UK, Survivor, <laughs> Survivor UK. It's exhausting thinking about it all. It's just oh, a I lot. feel exhausted listening to you rattle all those off. <laughs> so I was able to catch up on all of those throughout the week, which was great. And a few extra shows that I'm going to talk about in the next um next episode. Mm. Mm. Wow. So that was my week, but he's home now and it was lovely seeing him. The cats missed him. Linus was like laying on the, the arm of the chair, the part where Vinny would usually be laying, just looking depressed on Wednesday night as shit. And you could see they were off. Oh, so it's good miss, to have him home. They missed yeah. their other daddy. They did. Well, well I'm the mama. He's the dadda. Oh, I when see. When it comes to the cats anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Bless. But he's back now. So when did he get back? He only got back today at um just two hours ago, two and a half hours ago. 
Yeah. So we had um had a little lay in bed, had a little chat, catch up, went and got pizza from across the road, had dinner. And he's tired as fuck, so I've just sent him off to watch a show and maybe have a nap. But I've got to call him when the washing's done so he can hang that out and put on <laughs> another load of his pants. <laughs> No rest for the wicked, but that's my week so far. Oh, wow. Okay. So should we get into this fabulous topic this evening? Let's, let's do. Let's do. Okay, so I'm going first. So I'm going to share a little story about the ghost ship mm. that is the Mary Celeste. Now, you've obviously uh, heard, everyone's heard of the ghost ship, I've right? I've heard of, yes, I've heard of the Mary Celeste. And the film that, you know, the film I don't think is based on the... Um, I've heard of the film and I've heard that it is the most intense opening to a movie ever. Well, see, I think I watched it a long, long time ago and I don't uh, recall that, but I am a little bit inspired to watch it, but I don't think I would get Tyler to sit involved. down and watch it with me. No. So I think they've remade it. And so this is like a bit more recent, the one that where they say the beginning of it's like, meant to be pretty intense are you talking about the one like from the 2000s i think it's got julianne margulies or whatever her name is in it does it Um, have something to do with a wire going through someone i don't know but i think there's a little girl in a room as well in it but i'm sure i've seen it i'm sure oh yeah 2002 yeah i think it's that one yeah yeah so i do i do feel like i want to watch it anyway but it's not I don't think based on the Mary Celeste. Um, I don't actually know, to be fair. I didn't really research that that much. Yeah. So So it does say, I just Googled, it says, why ghost ships, why ghost ship still has horrors best opening scene. Oh, there you go. So you obviously haven't seen it then. No, but it's a 19, this one's based passengers on a 1960s luxury liner Mm. being murdered. So I don't think it's based on the same. I do think I remember it was a bit more cruise shippy as opposed to the story that I'm about to tell. So anyway, the fate of the captain and the crew of the Mary Celeste continues to remain a maritime mystery plus. Maritime. Maritime. We're going to use some (laughs) boat lingo. Ahoy the shore. (laughs) Ahoy, ahoy, matey. On November 7th, 1872, this really, really big boat called the Mary Celeste went missing. But how big was it? Well, if I talk to you in sailing terms, you'd have no clue. Okay, okay. It's a 28, 282-ton brigantine. Oh, a brigantine. What's a brigantine, I hear you ask? Yes, I do it's ask. It's a really, really big fucking boat, but anyway. <laughs> a brigantine. And very heavy one too. Yeah, yeah, 282 tons. I had to think about if I'd said that right or not. <laughs> Maybe this is not how this low alcohol is going straight to my head. Um, a brigantine is a two-masted sailing vessel with a fully square-rigged foremast and at least two sails on the main mast, a square top sail and a gaff sail mainsail behind oh, the mast. Jesus. So there's a few masts is what I'm taking from this. What about the poop deck? What was that like? I can't recall. It's not in my research. The main mast is the second and taller of the two masts. So there you go. That's the explanation on (laughs) masts. Brigantine, what a brigantine is. So in 1872, this big boat goes missing on its way from New York to Italy. The crew consisted of the captain, Benjamin S. Briggs, and his family, his wife, Sarah, and their two-year-old daughter, Sophia. There were also eight crew members. 
Less than a month later after it departed on December 5th, a passing British ship called De Gracia spotted the Mary Celeste at full sail and adrift about 400 miles east of the Azores with no sign of the captain, his family or any of the crew. Mm. Aside from several feet of water in the hold and a missing lifeboat, so the hold is like, I guess, let's call it the living area. The bottom part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and a missing lifeboat, so a lifeboat was missing. The ship was undamaged and loaded with six months' worth of food and water. Right. It's still a mystery 100 years later. It was just like they disappeared into thin air and without a trace. Right. No sign of foul play then either, I assume. Well, we'll have oh. to talk about that. Now, I have racked my brains a few times for justifications as to what to have, what has happened. So since I started researching this at the beginning of the week, I have been over the facts and I have tried to put a couple of theories into place. But every time I talk myself out of the theory because I'm like, no, that doesn't explain this, this and this. So... Um, can I I've tell you my few... theory before you start? No, you can tell. I don't it at know the anything end. out of it. This is my okay. guess. Okay, all right, go on. You can tell. So I think the captain and the first boy were found fooling around on the poop deck mm. by the mother. They pushed everyone off, took a Possible. month's supply, and jumped in a lifeboat to start off a gay life together on the Galapagos Islands. On the Galapagos, of course, everyone wants to go to the Galapagos <laughs> Islands to see the turtles. Interesting, interesting theory that you have. Well, we'll have some opportunity to explore this a, li a little later. Good. Um, when we return to the theories after we go through the facts and then okay. also what the potential theories have been posed right. as was. Um, okay. Theories have ranged from pirates to sea monsters to mutiny, killer mm. water spouts, natural disasters, shock horror alien abduction Look. and alcohol explosion oh there'd Looking... be some of those would have some traces of well like a sea monster you'd think would have a bit of damage on the boat yeah, said explosion one would, think, one would think also you know they aren't real um so <laughs> <that too>. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. They're, they're mythological, but I don't know if they really are mythological. Maybe the Loch Ness. Yeah. <laughs> it could have been the Loch Ness. Who knows? He could have just got in there without making a, you know, any type of like imprint anywhere yeah. and then got out. Killed them all. Killed them all. Looking at the facts, this is what we know today. When the Mary Celeste was found on December 4th in 1872, she was seaworthy, her cargo was intact, and there was enough food and supplies for six months on board. She was not leaking and there was no structural damage. The only clue was one missing lifeboat. But those on board had disappeared, leaving all personal belongings and cargo behind, sending the Mary Celeste into history as one of the greatest maritime mysteries of all time. Right. The fateful voyage. The 282-tonne brigantine, we've already talked about what a brigantine is. We, we are well-versed on brigantines. Brigantine ship. Mary Something Celeste. about masts. <laughs> <laughs> believe there's two, but also maybe some small One ones somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> so she left Staten Island because, you know, they do call boats girls. 
Yes, especially she... when they're named Mary <laughs> Celeste. <laughs> she left Staten Island in New York City on November 7th, 1872 for Genoa. Is that how you say Genoa? Is it Genoa? Yeah. Yep. Italy. That's where mum and John were. I think they left for their cruise yeah. from Genoa. Lovely. So they were sailing with, so it was sailing with Captain Benjamin Spooner, who I've already mentioned, sorry, Captain Benjamin Spooner Briggs, uh, his wife, Sarah, and the couple's two-year-old daughter. Bless. The couple had decided to leave their seven-year-old son with relatives so he didn't miss school. Oh, that's very thoughtful. Yeah. Also on board were seven crew members and a cargo of around 17 thousand 1700 barrels of crude alcohol you're gonna say men i was like that's a big fucking crew right (laughs) but i do like their priorities you'll have to excuse me i deal with numbers all day to the point where i'm just constantly (laughs) reciting numbers in my head because that's what i do for my job so when i have to do numbers outside of work i'm like (laughs) pythagoras theorem states i'm mixing all my numbers around now they're all just blending together (laughs) The crew members were all highly experienced seamen who had been handpicked by <laughs> Captain Briggs. Seamen. Seamen. <laughs> they would never reach their final destination. Mm. Writing to his mother before leaving New York, Briggs seemed positive about the journey. We seem to have a very good mate and steward, and I hope I shall have a pleasant voyage. Oh, hang on, I've got to just go down a little bit. According to the ship's logs, the Mary Celeste battled howling winds and rough seas for a fortnight before it reached the Azores, Portugal. And this is where the ship's log last entry was recorded at 5 a.m. on November 25. Nothing out of the ordinary was reported in this final entry. Ten days later, the crew of De Gracia spotted a ship sailing erratically, drifting off the coast of Portugal. The Del Gracia's Captain Morehouse noticed something was wrong that the ship seemed to be seaworthy, but it looked like nobody was commanding her. Mm. Using a spyglass, <laughs> Captain Morehouse immediately recognised the ship as the Mary Celeste. He knew Briggs was a highly experienced captain, and because the ship had set sail before the De Gratia, he should have reached Genoa by that time. Morehouse sent a boarding party to the Mary Celeste to investigate. According to the New England Historical Society, when the men boarded the ship, they found an eerie sight. The Mary Celeste was in perfect working order apart from only one pump being operational. All the cargo was intact and the sails were set. Interesting. There was a metre of water in the bilge described as a thoroughly wet mess, probably through hatches left open on deck. But there was no sign of human life, nor was there any sign of a struggle or any criminal activity. Mm. So pirates are out of the question. So far, a mm. historian wrote, the clues as to what happened, what few existed, were strange and incomplete. The main cargo hatch was sealed, but a forward hatch had been left open. Water had accumulated in the hold and between decks through the ship, though the ship was not sinking and the hull wasn't breached. A rope was found trailing into the sea from the ship's stern, tied very tightly. The other end of the rope was frayed. Navigational implements, including a sextant, were missing from the bridge. I told you we were going to get deep into the the, (laughs) The the maritime lingo. Yeah. The ship's papers were missing, (laughs) apart from the all-important captain's logbook. The crew's personal belongings were still on board, their clothing neatly folded and packed away. 
It's interesting that they left the the logbook as kind of like a bit of a deterrent as well. Yeah, everything's fine. I thought that was that was um, Mm. strange. Like the rest of the ship's papers were gone though. Uh, And again, the strongest clue was centered on the one missing lifeboat. With no visible signs of violence or theft, it looked like the ship had been abandoned in a great hurry. Perhaps a moment of terror or sheer panic. And so began one of the most enduring mysteries of the sea. Members of the Degracia crew sailed the Mary Celeste to Gibraltar. Where Gibraltar. A, Gibraltar. <laughs> there's, Gibraltar. A rock, there's a rock there, I think. <laughs> where a British vice admiralty court began a salvage hearing. This was to decide whether the Degracia crewmen were entitled to payment from the insurers of the Mary Celeste as compensation for bringing the ship to safety. But due to the mysterious mysterious nature of the case, the Attorney General suspected mischief and launched a three-month investigation. Mm. I can get that too because you'd be like, okay, now are you sure you had nothing to do with it? Degrati, degrati. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, it was still brought to safety, so no one was out of pocket or anything because, you know, um, the ship wasn't damaged in any way. So the insurers got the boat back. Like, um. Eventually, the crewmen received payment, but it was only one-sixth of the 46000 for which the ship and its contents had been insured. Right. The investigation. All kinds of theories were tested, but one theory that became the most popular was that the Mary Celeste was attacked by pirates who murdered the crew and threw the bodies overboard. However, this story has several holes. Firstly, piracy wasn't common in the area at the time due to a strong British naval presence. Uh Also, there were no signs of violence or any kind of struggle. Yeah, no blood splatter and shit like that, yeah. Yeah, or nothing damaged or knocked over or, you know, like especially when you've got a wife and kid, you'd think that there would be at least Some sort of, of, yeah. Yeah. Um, the fact that the cargo and all the personal belongings were untouched meant that the pirate theory was not plausible. Yes. Nobody really believed pirates would go to the trouble of taking a boat and murdering the crew only to leave the ship with its entire cargo. And taking just the papers, yeah. Exactly, unless there was something in the papers. Mm. But the pirates would take the booze. I would if I was a pirate. Yeah, so we'll get to that too. So according to historians, the judge in the case, Frederick Solly Flood, suspected the Mary Celeste was abandoned due to criminal activity. But along with everyone else that examined the case, he had no idea exactly what happened. Meanwhile, the ghost ship became an international media sensation. Mm. So the wild theories, first of all, alien, alien, (laughs) alien abduction. Alien theory was mostly to do with the fact that early newspaper reports claimed the Mary Celeste crew left the ship in an eerily immaculate condition with food still laid out on the table and the last log entry being written just before it was discovered. This ended up being untrue because the last log was written several days before the discovery and there was no food on the table. The ship was slightly waterlogged, so it wasn't exactly pristine. Also, with one missing lifeboat, it's easy to surmise that the ship was deliberately abandoned. But why? And by whom, I ask you, whom? Whom? Mutiny. 
When the ship was first inspected, unusual markings were found inside the ship that some believe were caused by a weapon, possibly okay. an axe. There was also strange markings that were thought to be bloodstains. This mm. led to theories that one or more of the crew got drunk and killed everybody on board before taking the ship's lifeboat and making their escape. They woke it- up the next morning with some fear. <laughs> like, oh, my God. Uh, I can't believe I've I did done. that last night. They're going to tell everyone, <laughs> let's kill them. It's hard to believe that anybody would take a tiny lifeboat and attempt to get to land unless it was a life or death situation. The blood stains on the ship were later found not to be blood at all and the axe markings were just normal wear and tear of the ship. Also, there wouldn't really have been much alcohol for the crew members as the alcohol on board was industrial grade and undrinkable. It wasn't the kind of alcohol that might incite a mutiny. The crew had all been handpicked by Captain Briggs, sailors with impeccable records. Despite a search for the crew in ports around the world, not a single crew member from Mary Celeste was ever found. Flippers. Natural disaster. Many theories centred on the idea that the ocean caused the disappearance. Perhaps the ship came across a tornado or a violent quake that caused superficial damage, leading the crew to think mistakenly they were about to sink. With that in mind, it's no wonder they would have rushed aboard the lifeboat. That's true, but like, yeah, if it was that rough, you'd think the sails would be damaged and there'd be yeah. a bit more damage to the boat. And you would think that you would be much more safer on a big boat than, than a in the little, little tiny lifeboat. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and look, Quick, it sounds like get me this to something smaller. Stat was you know quite intelligent. He heavily researched like the trip and the people that he boarded. They left the son behind at school. And... He wasn't on his L plates yeah. driving the fucking boat around. Yeah. <laughs> wasn't some dummy (laughs) just on his first boat tour. So the next one, alcohol explosion. Mm. According to historians, the biggest clue to the mystery was discovered when the ship was unloaded upon reaching Gibraltar. 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 Although all 1,700 alcohol barrels were there, nine were empty. Okay. If they leaked into the hold during the voyage, the fumes might have built up below decks. Something obviously happened to cause Captain Briggs to give the order to abandon ship. Whether it was, whatever it was, it must have been shocking enough to spook a very experienced mariner into what might have been a rash reaction. Especially considering that it's one lifeboat. Exactly. According to this theory, Briggs might have ordered everyone to abandon the ship temporarily with the idea to sail behind the Mary Celeste until the danger had passed. So this is from the alcohol yeah. leak. And that's but, why there's a fray at the end of the rope and all yes, that shit. Yeah. But perhaps the rope attaching the lifeboat to the ship came undone and then the 10 crew members and family drowned. So Mary Celeste eventually found a new owner and sailed for another 12 years until her captain deliberately ran her off ground in Haiti believed to be part of an insurance fraud scheme. Again, according to historians, um, in 1885, Boston businessman Wesley Grove had purchased the Mary Celeste, though he was unable to make success of her. So he loaded her with junk, like barrels of water instead of alcohol, had her overinsured before deliberately wrecking her. Insurance investigators weren't fooled and he missed out on the big payout. Jesus. Um, In 2006, researchers investigated the theory that Captain Briggs ordered the ship to be abandoned due to alcohol vapours suddenly igniting in the hold. 
Again, according to historians, the theory was originally discounted because as they because there was no evidence of a fire yeah. and the crew from the De Gracia didn't notice any alcohol fumes when they came aboard to find it, Yeah, to bring it in, I mean. Um, but then uh, University College of London researchers built a replica of the Mary Celeste hold and set fire to built up fumes from alcohol. The fire spread very rapidly and left no evidence of fire, not even any scorches, as well as burning the fumes in the air and leaving no smell of alcohol. Mm. Stinky. Mm. No, there was no smell of alcohol. No stinky. A probable theory, <laughs> I think. Over the years, Mary Celeste was left adrift in the ocean, exposed to extreme conditions before being swallowed up by the ocean off Haiti, taking whatever secrets she still held to her watery grave. That's interesting. You thought they would have kept it fucking as an artifact type of yeah, thing, considering. Like a, yeah, something that you could, you know, like restore and use as a, you know, like a museum. Tourist, or something. yeah, yeah. Yeah, tourist attraction. Okay, so what do you think happened to the crew of the Mary Celeste now that you've heard all the probabilities and all the assumptions and the theories? Unless someone did some sort of hysteria thing and was like, oh, my God, everyone abandoned ship, blah, 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 it's going to blow, it's going to blow, and that's what made everyone jump. And then they had a lifeboat at the end and maybe someone cut the lifeboat to send them all going, and then the captain and the cabin boy who were caught on the poop deck rode off somewhere else yeah potentially um i had a little note here that i think they went the same way as your unidentified missing leg people lost it so you remember when all the, the, yeah. the legs kept showing up the one thing that i have been playing around with that got stuck in my head um is what about mental health so someone dived over, and I'm thinking, what if the wife was suffering from postnatal depression? She right. jumped overboard with the baby. So the oh. captain got all the crew, put them in the lifeboat to try to find her and save her. And that's probably why they left the son behind because she was a little bit unstable, but they couldn't leave the baby. He didn't want to leave mm, her. Interesting. He's left the son behind and said, look, I'll bring her out into the, you know, ocean and maybe get her some Great fresh blue air. Yonder. And yeah. She might start to feel better and she's tried to kill herself with the baby and they've all gone after the after her interesting and yeah and they've all perished that yeah time. but you'd think that that one person would stay on the boat if that happened to sort of steer you would or think something yeah yes you would think but um, maybe aliens is a plausible explanation in this as well yes maybe um it is aliens very well <laughs> very mysterious i really want know what happened i know it's and it's one of those things that you know we're probably never ever gonna know unless no. they devise something where you can sort of not turn back time but see past events somehow yeah <laughs> <Turn back time. laughs> you know, sure go back in time you mean go back in time yeah, <laughs> yeah interesting yeah yes 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 so it is still actually just a big fucking mystery what the fuck happened but the, res the missing lifeboat is a huge clue, obviously. The fact that there's no blood, no burning, none of that shit. And that rope too that was frayed at the end hanging yeah. off the back. Like, yeah. Yeah. It was. Um... Unless it was some hysterical thing that they thought it was going to blow. They all jumped in the one lifeboat. and But 
I don't know how the fro maybe snapped while they were sort of being towed along. There was too many maybe. people. The in the one life fumes boat. came out and got to it and snapped. Brood. Well, maybe you know, like there was too many people in in the lifeboat, and that's what sort of yeah, maybe, the and it just yeah. sunk because there was too yeah. many people in it. And but snapped. it doesn't say if there was multiple lifeboats either. So you yeah, think but of if the they're saying of that only size, one lifeboat, yeah, that's what I mean. Like, was there more than one? Or was well, there'd have to be because they'd say the only lifeboat was yeah. missing. Yeah, yeah, only one lifeboat was But that's actually a good, good concept. Maybe they were all in the lifeboat. Waves were flooding it. It sank, and that's why it snapped. But I guess it would just keep drawing it along, wouldn't it? Unless a sharky came along and had a gnaw. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe like a pelican pectin. Yeah. <laughs> they, they had a cat on board that was, like, playing with it. Yeah. Stop, stop. But they didn't find a cat, did they? Well, the cat died. Yeah, died with him. <laughs> yeah. He also sunk, yes. Yeah, bless. Oh, interesting. Yes. Mm. Okay, so over to you. Your turn. All right, so I'm going to do as my first one, the Zodiac Killer, which I know you've heard of. So the so, Zodiac Killer. The Zodiac Killer. Have you seen the movie? Oh, I think I saw it years ago. I, I sort of touch on this, but I think I saw it years ago when it came out. And when I'd first heard about the Zodiac Killer, I remember thinking it was like right when I was into star science and all that shit. And I was like, Ooh, I wonder if he was, I thought like he'd kill an Aries and a Pisces and a, a Leo and all that shit, but no. So the Zodiac killer is an unidentified American serial killer who is believed to have murdered at least five people in Northern California between 1968 and 69. An earlier murder, the stabbing death of an 18-year-old college student in Riverside, California in 66, is also sometimes attributed to the Zodiac Killer. So can I just say one thing? Yeah. I've watched this film quite recently. Okay. It's well, one of Tyler's favourites, so I am so excited that you're doing this because I know all the facts so I can totally oh, cool. chime in. <laughs> Excellent. Good. So the case inspired the influential 1971 action film Dirty Harry which starred Clint Eastwood. Didn't know that. I also did not know that. And I'd like to, because like that to me, I thought was a fucking Western, a country and Western. So anywho, um, and it was the subject of the critically acclaimed David Fincher dramatic film Zodiac 2007, starring none other than my naughty's crush, Jake Gyllenhaal. He's not amazing, that I still wouldn't give him one today. Me too. Yeah, he's a hot man. I'm cutting out the other bed. <laughs> In 1968, a teenage couple was shot to death near their car in a remote area of north of San Francisco. He survived. One year later, another couple was attacked in similar circumstances, though the male victim survived. After the 1969 attack, the killer phoned police to alert them to the crime and to take responsibility for the 1968 murders. Later that year, the Zodiac killer attacked another young couple, though once again... The male survived. The last known victim is a taxi driver who was shot in October 1969. Yep. Dinner for two. The murders were the subjects of intense investigation and media coverage, particularly because of the killer's taunting letters to newspapers and phone calls to the police. His letters sent from 1969 to 74 were signed with a symbol resembling the crosshairs of a gun sight and typically began with the phrase, this is the Zodiac speaking. Mm. Included among the letters were four ciphers or cryptograms. 
the first of which was sent in three parts to three Bay Area newspapers in July 1969, and that was known as the 408 cipher, based on the number of characters it contained. It was soon decoded by a pair of private citizens. Its message stated in part that I like killing people because it is so much fun. Another cipher, the 340 cipher, mailed to the San Francisco Chronicle in November 1969, was finally decoded in 2020 by a team of three amateur code breakers, and its message began, I hope you're having lots of fun trying to catch me, but I'll discuss these cryptograms a little bit later on, please. So today, much remains mysterious about the Zodiac case, not least the issue of when the crime stopped. Crime writer Robert Graysmith argued that the Zodiac Killer remained active throughout the 80s, murdered and murdered dozens more people, though this view is controversial. Mm -hmm. During the 90s, serial investigators claimed to have identified the Zodiac Killer. The suspect most often cited was Arthur Lee Allen, from who was born in 33 and died in 92 a Vallejo, California school teacher who had been institutionalised in 1975 for child molestation, though his identification with the Zodiac Killer has never been substantiated. So the ciphers or the cryptograms. As I was saying, the first letters were sent to three different um, papers in the Bay Area, each containing a different part of the cipher. The papers printed the ciphers, as Zodiac threatened to kill again if his instructions weren't followed. The cipher, which was simpler than later efforts, was solved a week later by hand on the 8th of August in 69 by Donald Jean and Betty June Harden. And it Little old couple. <laughs> Bless Little them. Old, I think they were teachers and they really? used to like to do puzzles. Yeah, yeah, like um, cryptic crosswords and shit mm. like that, yeah. Mm. So the cipher was which was simpler. Oh, hang on, done that. So the cipher read, I like killing people because it is so much fun. It is more fun than killing wild game in the forest because man is the most dangerous animal of all to kill. Something gives me the most thrilling experience. It is even better than getting your rocks off with a girl. The best part of it is that when I die, I'll be reborn in paradise with a C in paradise, not paradise, but paradise with the sea instead of the S. <laughs> and all that I have killed will become my slaves. I will not give you my name because you will try to slow down or stop my collecting of slaves for my afterlife. <laughs> pity. So <laughs> based on this, it's pretty incredible that he was able to come up with a cipher complicated enough to fool the FBI for years, but couldn't put the effort into giving his spelling a quick double check, or maybe ask a friend to, look, try not to read too much into the content, but can you have a quick check that my grammar's okay? I completely cut and paste that from Station Hypo. It's straight up plagiarism, but I could not leave that line in there. <laughs> I couldn't not leave that line in there. I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> Could you play, don't read too much into the content, but have a quick check. The letter contained no real clues other than the killer had some fairly odd delusions going on, needed work on his spelling, and may have been inspired by The Most Dangerous Game, a movie about a man who is hunted by an aristocrat for kicks. After the first message, the killer's, cipher, killer's ciphers became more complicated, 
one which contained 340 characters, had managed to elude decryption for 51 years. A team of codebreakers decided to try and crack the code specifically because they knew it would be a challenge. Dan Orenchak, Sam Blake, and Jarl Van Eyck used software to help them break the cipher, first by finding the many possible reading directions that could be used if the cipher was transpositional. By sheer luck, Orenchak found that one solution for how the cipher could be transposed revealed fragments of messages, including hope you are, trying to catch me, and or the gas chamber. This gave them clues that the message wasn't transcribed in one big block as it was presented, so it wasn't a flowing thing, but instead was broken into three smaller blocks of texts made up of nine lines, followed by nine lines, followed by a final two. So by starting in the top left-hand corner, they moved down one line across two spaces to get the next letter, a key which could be translated into letters, and then words emerged. So the letter B, for instance, was represented by question mark seven, C just by nine, and A by a whole load of symbols unavailable on a keyboard. Through use of this message and some slight adjustments by ignoring a few words that stood out before transposing the text, a message was revealed. I hope you were having lots of fun trying to catch me. That wasn't me on the TV show, which, bring, which brings up a point about me. I'm not afraid of the gas chamber because it will send me to paradise with a C all the sooner because I now have enough slaves to work for me where everyone else has nothing when they reach paradise with a C. So they are afraid, so they are afraid of death. I'm not afraid because I know that my new life is Life will be easy, one in paradise, death. So of all the things that stood out was the line, that wasn't me on the TV show, Oren Chak explained. At this point, I jumped out of my chair because I knew the cipher was reviewed, received on the 8th of November 69, which is about two weeks after someone calling themselves Zodiac called into a TV talk show hosted by Jim Dunbar. Jim Dunbar. While the caller was on the air, he said, I need help, I'm sick, I don't want to go to the gas chamber. So when he's saying that wasn't me on the show, which brings up another point about me, I'm not mm. afraid of the gas chamber. Mm. He wants to go to paradise with the city. This for Orenchek made the solution seem real as it fit with the events around the time it was received. The rest of the message also seemed quite in character for the Zodiac killer. The team submitted their solution to the FBI who have since confirmed the solution. The FBI is aware that the cipher attributed to the Zodiac killer was recently solved by private citizens, the FBI said in a statement, adding that the Zodiac killer is still being investigated and not solved, as some had claimed. The Zodiac killer remains an ongoing investigation for the FBI San Francisco Division and local enforcement partners. Due to the ongoing nature of the investigation and out of respect for the victims and their families, we will be not providing any further comment at this time. So the team behind the decryption add that they're disappointed the cipher didn't contain any information that they'd found so far that could be used to identify the killer, just more of an attention-seeking garbage mm. from the Zodiac. Apparently the end doesn't flow quite right either, like the first one, which is just mm. a bunch of letters. So it's kind of um, a, just a jumble. Now, you haven't seen it yet because you're still so far behind on American Horror Story, but they did their little own twist on the Zodiac in the cult season 
which was a great season. And it's set just after Trump wins the 2016 election and a psycho sets up his own cult in the turmoil turmoil that the nation was feeling afterwards. God, I hope that doesn't happen again, but we'll see. Anyways, a side story takes us back to when the Zodiac was active, but it's not a person. It's a cult called Scum, S-C-U-M, that is led by radical feminist Valerie Solanas, who wrote the Scum Manifesto in real life, claiming that men had ruined the world and women had to fix it. She also tried to kill Andy Warhol, so it's a real person. Anyhow, it's just another interesting take on it. But for now, we still have no idea who the Zodiac killer is, making it one of life's greatest mysteries you have to see the movie it's so good i need to watch it again i think the first time i watched it i got disappointed that it wasn't based on horoscopes (laughs) (laughs) do you know what i actually think i had watched it when it first came out years ago but couldn't Mm. really like i remember as because when tyler and i watched it i'm talking probably like a month maybe two months ago we watched it his pick, of course, not mine. Oh, nice. It's interesting for Tyler to pick a um, serial He loves movie. it. So he's seen it before and had loved it and was like, we have to watch it. Um, but, yeah, it's quite a full-on film because it really takes over their lives. And that's so Robert Graysmith, who ends up writing the book that the movie's based on, and then he, he right. wrote a couple of other books about it, I think, follow-up books. Um, he, you know just as a cartoonist at the San Francisco Chronicle. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so there's like a reporter who ends up sort of drinking himself to death because he gets obsessed with it. And then the cartoonist comes along and he's like, sort of, he helps decrypt pieces as well, which is Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, Robert Graysmith, who ends up writing a book about it. Um, But he has like a bunch of kids during the whole thing and it spans like this whole period where it just takes over all these people's lives because they can never let it go. Because they've just been mind-boggling the whole thing, trying to figure it out. And they think, is it Arthur Miller? Is that what you said his name was? Who? The guy who they believed it was for ages and ages and it's Uh, still unfound. What's his name? Hang on. Arthur Lee Allen. Arthur Lee Allen. So they sort of spin it, the the book spins it, well, the show, I mean, the movie spins it, that it was really him because they tie in so many things that happened and he knew the first victim, the girl. Oh, okay. um, Well, allegedly. Yeah. Like there's all these other clues and bits and pieces that sort of point to him way more than coincidence um so it leaves you thinking that he was the one it was him who did it yeah and it's that movie came out 13 years before they actually decoded the second cipher as well so they wouldn't have had more information i guess yeah but um but what an inte- like i mean he's a murderer but quite an intelligent guy to be able to come up with these fucking ciphers that fooled the FBI for 50 years. Yeah, and not to be found, like, mm. and to just get away with it consecutively. Yeah. Um, it, it is, it's another one that you just sort of think, God, you wish someone could solve it yeah. and just tell you what tell actually a, really happened. Tell us the truth, yeah. Yeah, you just want to know, like, and that's why I think so many people who were involved in it got so obsessed with it, like, they just could never, ever let it let go. Let it go, Yeah. And because it would have rocked that community. And I mean, like mm. serial killers in the 60s and 70s, especially in California and America as a whole, I guess, just seemed so much more active, didn't they? Yeah. They gave they them had, names and shit like that. 
they had like curfews as well for like mm. the population. They were like, you know, don't go out at night and stuff like that, especially like to the places where it's secluded if you're a couple or if you're a woman and blah, blah, and blah. people still and, do it. Well, people were terrified. Like they were super terrified of it all. But then there were still people going out thinking it's not going to happen to me. I'm not going to yeah. stop living my life. And then it kept yeah. happening. And Yeah, there's actually, it's funny you say that. There's a, um, a true crime episode and i've seen a few different versions of it and it's about oh, i can't even remember who it is i don't know if it's the cleveland strangler um and it was picking up prostitutes and stuff and they were interviewed the news crew go out and interviewing people and they interview one sex worker sorry that um said yeah they're all scared they're terrified about it blah 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 and they're like but he's still going to be working and she's like yeah 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 and the person they interviewed ended up being one of his victims wow yeah um, but uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe that there was no other murders linked to the Zodiac killer after that Alan guy died. So those uh, original ones, those original murders, like what was there? Was there three couples? There was, couples? yeah. So there was five that are officially linked to him. Then they say there's another one that happened earlier that they're linking to him as well. Yeah. Um, but then Arthur Lee, he was in, he became institutionalized in 75 for child molestation. See, so is that his MO as well? Like, yeah. And he, the, the actor who plays him plays a really good part. Like he's really creepy and you like watching the film going, oh, he fucking totally did it. How but, long does it, what time span does the film go over? Like to when does it end? Is it, it goes shortly to in the 70s where or? I think from memory, there was a couple of times where they questioned um, that Arthur Lee guy, Arthur Lee Allen, um, and where they thought they were really onto him, but then it just dries up and they've got no real evidence to link him to it. I think there was twice where they were really super after him. Like they searched, because I think his brother came out and said, his brother and his wife came out and said, look, they didn't like him being around the kids. They always felt yeah. a bit weird. So they let him, they let the police and the FBI or whatever search their house and everything that they had of him. And then there was another time they found him where he worked. And there was a guy who was a neighbor or a friend from college or something. Um, and he had given them like information to he had gone and made a statement and said, oh, I think this is who did it. Cause he told him this big elaborate story about what he was going to do, like how he could get away with it and shit like that. And, Right. Watch it now that you've researched it. Watch yeah, yeah, it. no, I will. I will. You will love. I I'm think Benny would really like it too because it's not your typical. And I like a good mystery type. It's quite gripping. Yeah. Like it just goes on and on, and it gets really obsessive to a point where you're just like, and you just really desperately need to know what happens, but you never know. And you know, you know, you're not going to know too. Yeah, yes. so it's not so satisfying at all. Of, but you want some sort of answer, and you want to trust what their direction yeah, they're pointing. Exactly. You in. So you get to the end, and you're just like. Fuck. Yeah. That's just so fucked that like he did all these things and he had the whole of San Francisco just fucked up in it. Yeah. Um, and sending, you know, calling and sending those letters and yeah. you know, they had like the secretary in the newspaper, like she'd get the, the first time she got it, she was like, What the fuck is this? And then, you know, brought it into the room where there were all the reporters are sitting there. But after that, they just expected it all the time. So as soon as it came in, she'd be like, Oh my god. we got another one and it's also got um mark ruffalo in it robert downey jr that's right i do remember mark ruffalo in it now yeah it's very good very very good i really enjoyed it oh good now i will watch it right what's your next one you dumb bitch okay so my next one 
next one. Let me just go. So I'm going to go a little bit off book here um, because- Into the books. (laughs) Into the books, yes. I've been dying to do these books actually. So um, I think we might have touched a little bit on this in previous podcasts, but growing up, I was a massive library geek. I was the kind of kid who used to go to the library all the time. Definitely still socialize, hung out in the playground, stuff like that. But every time I I got the chance to sneak away, because, you know, growing up, it wasn't like we could always go out and buy a bunch of books. Mm. It wasn't even that you could really, there was bookstores and stuff like that, but books were expensive. And so libraries, if you were a reader, it was always about the libraries. So I loved in primary school, the old time mystery novels. And we have talked about Nancy Drew before because you were watching the, the, the CW yes. TV show about it. Yeah. Um, but I was obsessed with the books and I even read a few of the Hardy Brothers, oh, Hardy, Boys. Hardy Boys, Hardy Boys novels. And I think that's how I got it. I actually think it was my mum who once said, once said to me, read some of the Hardy Boys novels and I did. And then they introduced Nancy Drew as one of the characters and then she has like a spin-off book. series um and then becomes probably even more popular would you say than what the hardy boys are yeah well there's no cw tv show about the hardy boys (laughs) (laughs) and i I reckon people who listen to this podcast who are quite in a much younger demographic will be like the fuck are the hardy boys but they'll know who nancy (laughs) drew is exactly yeah um so i was obsessed but nancy drew is a fictional character appearing in several mystery book series, movies, video games, and a TV show as a teenage amateur sleuth. The books are ghostwritten, which I didn't actually know. So they're ghostwritten by a number of authors and published under the collective pseudonym Carolyn Keene. I always thought Carolyn Keene was a real person, but it's not. So there's a bunch of people who wrote under that name. Um, So created by the publisher Edward Straitmeyer as the female counterpart to his Hardy Boy series. Yeah. The character first appeared in 1930 in the Nancy Drew Mystery Story series, which lasted until 2003 and consisted of 175 novels. Wow. That's a long-lasting character, yeah. I know, isn't it? Over the decades, the characters have evolved in response to changes in American culture and tastes. Beginning in 1959, the books were extensively revised and shortened partly to lower the printing costs with arguable success. In the revision process, the heroine's original character was changed to be less unruly and violent. And see, I was struggling to figure out exactly what books I had read and what eras they were from. And there's a lot. (laughs) There is a lot. I do remember some of them having really old characters. And I remember like picking up and being like, fuck, this is an old book. Even when I was young. Like I remember, um, I can't remember the exact eras of the books that I read or, you know, if I started with the really super early stuff or if I came in you know, in the 60s or the 70s or whatever. But I do remember when I started reading some of them, they had really old covers on them. And I was like, at first, well, this looks like a really old book. Yeah, this is not my interest. Yeah, yeah. But I became obsessed. Um, So in the 1980s, an older and more professional Nancy emerged in the new series, The Nancy Drew files which i think was some of the books that i did definitely read and i was right. a bit more obsessed with that so she was older and women's liberation she working girl yada yada um and they included romantic subplots for the sleuth so i do definitely remember the romantic subplots as well because i remember being like quite young being like Ooh, she likes a boy. <laughs> 
Um, so, and then launched in 2004, the Nancy Drew Girl Detective series features Nancy driving a hybrid electric vehicle and using oh, a cell phone. Wow. I never read any of those. I'm um, on it, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then in 2012, the Girl Detective series ended in a new series, the Nancy Drew Diaries was launched um, and it was, in, the characters were evolved and influenced by more, you know, contemporary styles. Yeah. yeah. Um, so some of my research has compared her to Velma from Scooby-Doo and oh, yeah. Mars characters that yeah. I absolutely adore. And they probably did inspire them in some way. She probably yeah. did inspire the characters, yeah. Um, and Ken like Keith. I said, um, there's about 175, 180 novels ranging from 1930 to 2003. Right. So, Sean. 1930. Yeah, I know, I know. Um, but I do remember like there was a little bit like, cause I remember when I read the Hardy boys, it was very like Huckleberry Finn type things, you know, playing yeah, yeah, sticks, yeah. not wearing shoes. That <laughs> Solving crimes. Um, so did you ever put your nose in some Nancy Drew, Sean Beano? Uh, no, I, I, I don't swing that way at all. <laughs> Sky, so, no. Not even when you were younger? <laughs> no, I, um, I do remember, I think I got given a couple of Hardy boys, books for Christmas from John's parents when I was about 14, 13. And I remember trying to give it a go, but I didn't follow it through. It actually surprises me because you're a bit like me like that. Like you like a mystery, a good sort Mm. of crimey type thing. I remember trying, but it just didn't get me. Maybe if I had a Nancy Drew, I might have stuck my nose in her, but no, I didn't. Maybe. So that brings me to my next lot of old school mystery stories. And that was the character called Trixie Belden. Did you ever hear of her? No. Anyway, so Trixie Belden is a series of girl detective mysteries written between 1948 and 1986. So a little bit later to the party than Nancy Drew was. Um, The first six books are written by this lady called Julie Campbell Tatham. Um, The following 33 titles were written by various in-house writers um, under the pseudonym Catherine Kenny. So similar to how they did the whole Nancy Drew thing, like they started off with a few books and then they went into, um, you know, just sort of ghostwriting it really. Yeah. Um, So I was obsessed with Trixie Belden and it wasn't as easy to come by as the Nancy Drew stuff was because it wasn't as popular. But she, to me, was just a bit more mature. She had a little bit more romantic stuff going on from memory um, and it was just a bit more gripping than what the Nancy Drew. The Nancy Drew were almost like kitty to me compared to when I started reading the Trixie Belden stuff. Probably a bit more clean cut, were they, the Nancy Drew? Yes, I think so. Yeah. Um, but I was totally obsessed with both. And I used to just, every time I saw one in, in any library that I went to, because I used to also frequent the, li- oh, yes. the public libraries as the well. The Redlands Library. Yeah, I used to go there every Thursday with my mother. <laughs> just, you know, go through all the racks looking for books. Yeah. Um, so they also tried to bring out the books again. They tried to re-release them uh, between 2003 and 2006. Random House did this. Um, they republished the first 15 books with new cover art yada 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 um but they never went on to finish publish publishing the rest i don't yeah. think there was anywhere near as much interest in them as the nancy drew ones they probably didn't carry over as well as maybe the fact that they continually updated the nancy drew yeah and um, she had character. the name the popular name to behind her as well yes 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 but i do remember loving trixie belden more than i loved nancy, nancy. drew 
Um, so then obviously there was Enid Blyton's Famous Five. Do you remember those yeah, ones? Yeah, I yeah. Did you ever read five. any of those? No, I don't think so, but I remember the the name, yeah. Yeah, look, from memory, I think they're a little bit similar to the whole Hardy Boys type thing, yeah. but there was a bit more diversity in the five. Yeah. Um, but that was another mystery series that I read a little bit of. But before I can move on and let you speak about your next topic, I have to touch on the Babysitter's Club mystery novels plus. <laughs> See, I, I do remember the Babysitter's Club. I didn't know they were mystery novels, so I just thought it was fucking about chicks babysitting and doing it hair was. and shit like that. that well, it, there was a little bit of that, I guess, because they were <laughs> girls that basically they just make a babysitting club and when I was young I was obsessed with babysitting and wanted to hand out my own flyers just like Christy (laughs) and Christy's great idea which is the first book I don't Um, have any children that's fine just take one anyway (laughs) but my mum kept saying you're way too young you're way too young to babysit and I was like but they do it in the babysitters club mum um and and it reminds me of that stupid fucking other series the horse riding club or whatever it was oh saddle club Were they were they detectives all, as well, mate. or were they just no? They just loved horses. <laughs> Sometimes maybe a little bit of mystery chucked in there. Um, but so the Babysitters Club pretty much took over my life. I recently brought a T-shirt for myself and my sister last oh, cool. Christmas. I think it was of a Babysitters Club. The yeah, I like the nostalgia for that. Yeah, um, but we used to have this thing with my friends because when I first got into them, I think there was about 27 novels out and they were all numbered. So they'd have a number and then the title after it. And we used to, I remember in like grade three on the playground, we'd quiz each other, we'd say a number and you had to say what the title was. (laughs) And it was, you know, a competition to see who could get the most right. And that's pretty much how we spent our lunch times for probably 12 months. (laughs) (laughs) But the Babysitter's Club, as you said, was based on the fact that it was a babysitting club um, that was started because of Christy's great idea. (laughs) Uh, And then, so they'd have so many episodes, they'd have so many books and then they'd chuck a mystery in. And the mysteries did come in a little bit later. I'm going to say around about the the 20th book or somewhere around there. Um, And with titles like Stacey and the Missing Ring, Stacey is accused of stealing a ring while babysitting. (laughs) The number two was Beware Dawn. Dawn receives threatening notes and phone calls as she's babysitting while oh. competing for sitter of the month. And they called them sitters. It was always like, I've got to get a sitter. I've got to sit today. I've yeah. got to like sit for this family and blah, blah, blah. And then we've they got went... a sitter of the month. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then they went There's on three to of them. <laughs> Mallory and the ghost cat. Mm-hmm. Um, Christy and the missing child. Marianne and the secret in the attic. I loved that one. Um, but I can't tell. Don't the story. go up there, Chrissy. <laughs> I can't tell. <laughs> that the attic story is not for you. The secret in there is for Daddy. About the Babysitters Club, without also touching on the super special. So they were like they all lived in the same town in Connecticut, right? And all their families knew each other, and the parents were all friends on differing levers and stuff like that. And they used to bring out a super special every so often, and it was really thick. The normal books were like, um, you know. I could read them in a Friday afternoon. Like yeah. I could read them by, I'd probably start when I finished school at three o'clock and be done by half past six. But the super specials would come out 
and they would be like three times the size and they would cost three times as much when yeah. they went on special. And I'd be like, oh my God, the super special is out. And it was always like, I remember that one of the first ones was where they all went on a Disney cruise together. So they were all in a cruise ship. So all the babysitters were there. They were babysitting all the kids at the same time, but all their parents were there as well. And then there was a couple of, there was a camp one where they went on summer camp and they were all like together. The babysitters were all at the same camp, like being camp counselors and looking after the kids (laughs) and stuff like that. And I was absolutely obsessed. And I used to, whenever I did get pocket money, the books used to cost $5. And this is like, that's a lot for them in high school, even in high school, I was still reading these books early high school um, and definitely primary school, like late primary school, but I'd get my $5 pocket money and mum would be like, what do you want to spend? And I'd be like, babysitter's club book. And so we'd go to Kmart and buy the babysitter's club book. And that'd be my whole $5 gone. Like that I had done dishes for or washed the car or did whatever shit I was supposed to do. And my sister would buy like all these little things like toys and lollies and whatever. And all my money would be gone in one fell swoop because <laughs> I just done a babysitter's club book. And then I would get it and I would read it, like I said, from the moment I got home and it'd take me like a couple of hours and it'd be done. And then I'd reread it over like a week, probably 10, 15 times. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's amazing how you could do that as a kid too, isn't I it? Know. Like read the same book over and over and over again. I can never do that comfort. now. Oh, no, totally. So- um, okay, your last one now. You're up. All right. So I'm doing the Nazca lines. Have you heard of the Nazca never. lines? Never. I'm pretty sure. Well, I would, Are you pronouncing I, it right? N-A-Z-C-A. Nazca. So you would have, you, you probably have seen the images of them. So roughly 2,000 years ago, a pre-Inca civilization etched a series of enormous drawings into the dry coastal plain of Peru, known as the Nazca Lines. These geoly- geo- geoglyphs, these geoglyphs remained largely unknown until aircrafts began flying over the area in the 1930s. To date. Well over 1,000 designs have been located. Most are straight lines stretching up to 30 miles or or geometric shapes from trapezoids to spirals, while others depict animals and plants, including a spider, a hummingbird, a monkey, a whale, a two-headed snake, a dog, and a humanoid figure nicknamed the astronaut. You're thinking aliens, aren't you? The aliens are coming! The aliens are coming! (laughs) As recently as 2022, 168 new geoglyphs were discovered, yet researchers still don't understand their purpose. One prominent hypothesis associates them with water rituals, though other guesses abound as well. So have you seen these? No, you haven't. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, you do not. (laughs) They are pretty fucking insane. They're not like crop circles. And as I said, they're over 2,000 years. They were done over 2,000 years ago. So how they knew they were drawing an ant that big without anyone looking down from a huge mountaintop screaming, a little to the left, easy, (laughs) easy. Are too far. You fucked it, George. (laughs) Is beyond me. Where are they again? In Peru and many others too. Hashtag famous mystery, please, bitches. So, as I was saying, there are three ta- basic types of Nazca lines so straight ones, geometric, which would be easy to do, geometric designs, and pictorial representations. Oh, those they, pictures would be fucking hard, man. Yeah, like how monkeys. The fuck did they get done. 
and a humanoid and a two-headed snake. Maybe the two-headed snake was a fuck up. <laughs> I've already done the head up. Oh, fuck. <laughs> well, I've just done the head over here. <laughs> Leave it. They won't know. <laughs> the Nazca lions are perhaps best known for representation of about 70 animals and plants, some which measure up to 370 metres long. That's 1,200 feet for those using the imperial system. Um, as I said, there's there's spiders, hummingbirds, cactus plant, monkeys, whales, llamas, ducks, flowers, trees, lizards, and dogs. What's your favourite out of those pictures? I think the monkey. <laughs> But you see how big they are for 2,000 years ago and how they were able to fucking manage that and know what it was actually looking like, I think is pretty incredible. And Any... so what's it made out of? To so the ground. They, they etched it into the ground. So I'll get into that. So not rocks. No. So they kind of push rocks aside. So I'll get to that anyway. Da, da, da. So in 2011, a Japanese team discovered a new geoglyph that appears to represent a scene of decapitation, which at about 4.2 metres long and 3.1 metres wide is far smaller than the other Nazca figures and not easily seen from aerial surveys. The Nazca people were known to collect trophy heads and research in 2009 revealed that the majority of trophy skulls came from the same populations as the people they were buried with rather than from outside the culture. In 2016, the team found another geoglyph, this time one that depicts a 30 metre long 98 feet, mythological, mythical creature that has many legs and spotted markings and is sticking out its tongue. You see where I'm going with this? Mm. UFOs slash aliens, mm. please. What a cool job that would be to be an archaeologist. Like, yeah, to discovering that shit. all that stuff and just go on those big, like, missions to try to, like, find new things where you find that, you know, you hear that there's, like, a rumour that it exists somewhere or someone's And then actually finding something. And then finding it. Like, that'd be mm. fucking cool. But how were these lines created, I hear you ask? Anthropologists believe the Nazca culture, which began around 100 BC and flourished from 1 AD to 700 AD, created the majority of the lines. The Chauvin and Paracas cultures, which predate the Nazca, may also have created some of the geoglyphs. The lines are located in the desert plains of the Rio Grande de Nazca river basin, river basin an archaeological site that spans more than 75,000 hectares and is one of the driest places on earth besides your vagina. <laughs> you, I'm not that old. And that is in my notes. <laughs> you fucking bitch. <laughs> Go on, laugh it up. Laugh it up. <laughs> the desert floor is covered in a layer of iron oxide coated pebbles of deep rust colour, much like your vagina. <laughs> the ancient peoples created their designs. I resent the implication. <laughs> also, stop talking about my vagina. <laughs> The ancient peoples created their designs by removing the top 12 to 15 inches of rock, revealing the light coloured sand below. You're fucked. Oh, they, they likely began with small scale models and carefully increased the model's proportions to create the larger designs. 
Most of, the, most of the known geoglyphs were formed by removing rocks from only the border of the figures, creating a kind of outline, while others were formed by removing rocks from the interior. Given the low amount of rain, wind and erosion in the desert, the geoglyphs had remained largely unscathed throughout the centuries. Isn't that interesting? But hold up. I guess so. <laughs> the alien theory is yet to be explored. I can't even pronounce, pronounce this name. Torribio Mejia Escape, a Peruvian archaeologist, began a systematic study of the lines in 1926, but the geoglyphs only gained widespread attention when, when pilots flew over them in the 30s. Experts have debated the purpose of the lines since then. In the 30s and early 40s, historian Paul Kosok studied the geoglyphs from the ground and air based on the relative position of one of the lines. He studied to the sun around the winter solstice. He concluded that the geoglyphs had an astronomy-related purpose. Soon after, Maria Reich, a German archaeologist and translator, also concluded that this is, the designs had an astronomical uh, astronomical and cal calendrical purpose. We she need to stop using big words. <laughs> I know, especially at this point of the podcast. She further believed that some of the animal geoglyphs were representatives of groups of stars in the sky. In the late 60s and early 70s, however, other researchers, including American astron astronomer Gerald Hawkins, examined the lines and disagreed with the astro astronomical explanation for the geoglyphs. No. They <laughs> <laughs> I call bullshit. I call, I call bullshit. <laughs> they also poked holes in other far-out explanations, such as those relating to aliens or ancient astronauts. Most recent research suggests that the line's pur purpose was related to water, a valuable commodity in the arid lands of the skies for China. <laughs> <laughs> Of the Peruvian coastal plains. <laughs> the geoglyphs weren't used as irrigation system or a guide to find water, but rather as a part of a ritual to the gods, an effort to bring much needed rain. Some scholars point to the animal depictions, some of which are symbols for rain, water, or fertility, and are found at other ancient and are found at other ancient Peruvian sites and on pottery as evidence to this theory. In 2015, researchers presenting at the 80th annual meeting of the Society for American Archaeology, that sounds like a hoot, That's doesn't a it? That's gospel, isn't it? <laughs> it sounds like a right hoot. They need an acronym. They <laughs> just that fuck <laughs> Argued that the purpose for the lines changed over time. Initially, pilgrims heading to Peruvian temple complexes used the lines, as ritual processional routes, later groups as part of a religious rite, smash ceramic pots on the ground at the point of intersection between the lines. Just follow the outline of the monkey. <laughs> yeah, no, that's not going to take me straight there. Like, what the fuck are we doing another corner? I'm in the fuck fucking say. tail. <laughs> Jesus miles Christ. away. And then you're looping back around again. You're like, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> Whose idea was this? <laughs> But what? Yeah, like, people are coming at eight o'clock. I need till nine. Dinner's not ready. Just fucking make them go around the tail. <laughs> but what Again. do they really mean? And why did they build them so? Never really knowing how they looked from the sky. Well, you stupid bitch. That is why it's a fucking mystery. Oh, what a mystery. What a head scratcher. <laughs> it's a real noggin turner, isn't it? <laughs> Indeed, indeed. <laughs> <Stupidly>. <laughs> <laughs> 
No uh, more vagina jokes, okay? <laughs> Look, I don't think I'll get a topic as dry as that one again. So I've you're had safe. a gutful. <laughs> well, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode episode of Mysterious Boats, Murders, Old-timey novels, lines stitched into the into the earth, and skies for Jay Jay. <laughs> what we a mystery! Jay Jay out of this. <laughs> what a mystery that is. <laughs> Will it ever be solved? Who knows? <laughs> Tune in next week for what's the haps as we begin to wrap up season seven of Stupid Bitches Say What. Can you believe it? I know season seven remember if you like what you hear tell your goddamn mates there's plenty of us to go around and remember if you're whining you're winning good night stupid bitches and good night from my vagina (laughs) good night everybody (laughs) good night stupid bitches good night yeah that stupid bitch He's a stupid bitch. What a stupid bitch. That stupid bitch.